0: Amen. How many here are a believer? How many of you believe in oxygen? <laughs> How many of you believe in your dog? How many of you ever had a dog run right away? <laughs> How many of you have told your dog, do not poop in this living room? And they did. You still believe in him? Right? Yeah, I mean, you didn't kick him out, right? How many of you believe in your politicians? Don't raise your hand on that one. And how many of you believe in the people you love? Well, we, we hope we have some responses on that. Well, you know what? You are all believers. You're all believing in something. Even if you're an atheist, you believe. There's no such thing as a person who's really a non believer Everybody believes in something. In fact, do you know that your faith and your belief is connected to a couple of things. It's, first of all, connected to your passion. You're not going to believe anything your heart's not connected with. Jesus made a statement, John. He said this, For where a man's treasure is, there will his heart be. So wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be. And guess what? Your belief system is connected to where your heart is. What heart is divorced? what your heart stops ticking, once your heart loses its passion, you stop believing. Now, in the early church, Paul the apostle wrote to several books, the Corinthians. He wrote to the book of Galatia, and he said this. He warned, especially in the in the in the uh, in the uh, excuse me here, in the book of Galatians. It actually in the end of the passage in Corinthians, he said this. And he was warning the church at Corinth here. And he says, I wish that you'd bear with me, this is chapter 11, verse 3. He says, uh, I wish that you'd bear with me a little in the things that I'm going to talk to you about. For I'm jealous with you with a godly jealousy. For I betrothed you. I've, you're engaged. You're, 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 you're set to be married to one husband as a virgin to Christ, verse 3. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness. How many of you know Satan is a crafty deceiver? Amen. So that your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Satan's objective here is not after your money, it's not after your wallet, it's not after your job, not even really after your health. It's after your faith. If he can corrupt your faith, if he can somehow create a wall of doubt, if he can somehow, through his cunning, crafty methods, corrupt your mind from the simplicity in Christ. And then he says this, a really important passage here. He says this, For if he who comes preaching another Jesus... Excuse me, I lost another Jesus whom you have not who who we have not preached. Or you have received a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Now notice what the apostle Paul is saying here. The thing that begins to corrupt our minds is when we begin to believe another Jesus. Paul is saying another Jesus, another spirit, and another gospel. How many of you know that not every Jesus that is preached today is the Jesus of the Bible? In fact, right now in California, right now, There are groups, which I do not want to mention, but there are groups right now that are rewriting the four Gospels and eliminating the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. Because the cross and the blood gives testimony to the fact that man needs a Savior and that he's lost without hope in his sin. And sin, the doctrine of sin today is a reproach in this culture. Because in this culture, your success is not based on the merit of the one who died 2,000 years ago. Your, your merit and your success is based upon how hard you try, it's based upon how good you do, how smart and intelligent, or the status of your income or society that you live in. That is the status of success. But there are groups today that are seeking to bring a gospel. And by the way, they're not starting with adults. They're trying to indoctrinate children as young as three and four years of age. How many of you know that the devil has an agenda? He actually has an agenda. And we need to recognize the agenda. The devil doesn't play fair. The devil doesn't care if your child is too young. He wants to shape and fashion and mold the way your children think and the way they believe. Because the way they believe is the way their minds are shaped and it's going to begin to ultimately shape the direction of our nation. That's why right now, the the biggest battle today is not political or economic. The biggest battle that is being waged is in the spiritual realm because the Apostle Paul says that the God of this world blinds the eyes of men. And so my point to you today is that we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our faith. Amen? But one thing about believing, coming to believe, the Bible says the just shall live by faith. And faith is a substance of things, hold for the evidence of not things. We we are in a war right now. There's a war to corrupt and to redirect people's passion, redirect their thinking concerning what they believe. That's why Christianity. I was reading just this morning, just getting some statistics. It's interesting. A lot of Americans, about 80% of Americans believe that the Bible is a good book. They believe that it's a good book. But do you know that only about 21 to 22% of people actually believe that the Bible is the kind of a book that you should or should live your life after? Only 22% of people believe that the Bible is inerrant that it is a book that i will begin to look to to allow that bible the word of god to shape the way i live my life 50% of church going young people today 50% do not believe in the inerrancy of the bible listen to this this is this was a tough one and by the way i got this off of george barnes website if you want to get it off of his site these stats I recently, just got it today. 80% of young people that have been raised in church will not return to church when they're adults. Why is that? Why are, we, why are we losing our young people? 80% of young people raised in church. Now, we're not talking about young people that parents don't know the Lord. We're talking about raised in church. Why is this battle going this way? I don't say that in any way to put any condemnation on us as adults. What I want you to know is there's a battle. By the way, you could be raising your kids in the house of the Lord, bringing a Bible study, praying with your kids, and that's all good and important. And by the way, I do believe that you're to train up a child, and when he's old, he will not uh, depart from it. But I want you to know there's a battle, especially in our public school systems and other systems, that are seeking, there's an undercurrent. And parents, if your kids are in school, pray for them, talk to them, have some time with them. I want to tell you something. They're learning more than math, science, and arithmetic and athletics. They're learning how to not believe the word of God. And yet we have a lot of people today, adults, that feel defeated as parents. We have a lot of people that come out of Dysfunctional families or maybe broken homes or marriages. And so there's, a, there's kind of a plague. I'm talking about in churches today where a lot of people feel defeated. They feel, they feel that they're inadequate. I, I don't know how to talk to my kids about the Bible or God or prayer. God's out there somewhere. He's invisible. Even as an adult, I don't even know how to... How do I talk to my kids? How to believe? By the way, do you know that God gives us His word but the most important thing you need to realize is that there is really no art in this thing. You've got to trust the Lord in this thing. I, like Carol was saying this morning in our worship, you've you got to just open your mouth. You, 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 see, faith Romans ten seventeen, the Bible says that faith comes by what? Hear. Hearing. My kids have to hear something. Everyone say hear. Now, they don't only need to hear it, but they also need to see it expressed in the house. How do they see it? Well, they see it when they see mom and dad in prayer or mom and dad really honoring one another, talking to, here's one, just just talking about the Lord. It's almost like today in our homes, if we talk about God, how Why god hey did you hear the latest and the greatest who Jerry Jones is bringing on the Cowboys team we can talk about sports we can talk about the news politics and what college we're going to go to but talking about the lord is just like that is the weapon of the enemy is silence We need to be bold. Yeah, but Pastor Ray, I don't have... I'm not worthy to talk about the Lord. I just got a litmus of horrible, stained sins in my life and my kids will realize I'm a hypocrite. No, no, no. You haven't... You got to read your Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, there's parents that are human just like you and me and have really made a mess of things. I'll tell you, the, the three I was talking to somebody yesterday, about three families in the Bible that that seems to be elevated in the Bible as the premier families that God elevates. And God says this, I am the God. It's written all through the Old and New. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I want to tell you, if God couldn't have have picked the the most dysfunctional families in the entire Bible, they were cowards there was conspiracy for murder there was backbiting there was lying and cheating and and you got rebecca stabbing her husband in the back and teaching her son how to steal and lie which put jacob on the back burner for 20 years he had to go through the school of hard knocks and jacob and jacob had 12 sons and his sons Hated their younger brother and turned them over to Egypt and lied to their I mean you got all this stuff in yet God says, These are my chosen families. Yes. Guess why God chose them? Because of you and me are just like them. Here yes. is another reason why God chose them. It's because it's not by your works, but by his grace. God didn't what why does God allow this? Here's the reason. God wants your faith to be so energized, not by doctrine, not by a Bible school theology or credential. It's not because you've done good things. It's by His grace you are saved. It's His grace that brings us to that place of repentance and real faith. You see, I I can stand up here and I can say this. In fact, I've, even, I've had people in my office, and I've had this happen to me a couple of times, where I've had, I remember in two, two occasions, different situations, but two occasions, where I had two fathers come and say, Pastor, I need you to talk to my teenager. I said, okay, what about? Well, they're not believing God, and they're doing conduct that's unbecoming to a Christian. And I need you to lay the law down, because you know the Bible. I said, time out. You want to make me out to be the bad guy so you can be the good guy in the house, and guess what? It ain't going to work like that. You need to stand up with some backbone and be dad in the house. Good preaching, Pastor Ray. Stop putting it on Ray. Ray. You need to do the right thing. Now, I'm not saying hammer. I'm not suggesting being mean and evil. No. We need to season it with grace. We need to listen. We need to hear. But stop trying to be some spiritual Santa Claus to your kids. Pastor David, Pastor Ray, Pastor Neam, will you discipline my kids? Because I don't want to. No, it doesn't work like that. You need to do it. Um, but here's, here's the thing. We need, we need a revelation of the understanding of God's faithfulness and goodness. We need, we need to have that understanding of what that revelation is and what that means to really understand because my belief, my faith, your faith and belief is connected to the knowledge of who Jesus is. You know, a couple of years ago... Uh, there was a young man in our church at the time. His name is, some of you re- would remember, Damien Skinner. He uh, was, our, was a youth pastor here. Awesome young man. And uh, Damien had heard that I had a boat. And he asked, uh, he says, Ray, what do you do in that boat? And I said, well, what do you think I do in a boat? You know, he says, because he had never been in a boat. Okay, I mean, that, that's a true story. He did have a boat. But the thing that was even a greater uh, question in his mind is, why, why do you spend your time fishing? What a waste of time. And I said, demon, have you ever gone fishing before in your life? No. I haven't, he, a true story. He said, I haven't even held a fishing pole. Hadn't even held a fishing pole in his house. By the way, if you've never held a fishing pole, we are going to pray for you now. No, just kidding. But, but he, he said, I, I just, I don't understand. I mean, what's the big deal about, you know, catching something, hop, hopping out of water? What's, what's the big deal? I said, Damon, have you ever fished? No, I never fished. I said, your dad never went fishing with you? He says, no, never, never gone fishing. I am not a believer. I don't believe. Now, he didn't say that. I'm saying that. But I said, why don't you come with me out in a week or so? We we got all ready, and we got in the boat, and and there was another young man who went with us who was part of the church at that time. His name was Tim Malepsky. And uh, Tim and Damien were very close friends growing up. Now, Tim was part of the Boy Scouts, and he knew fish and camp, and this guy was just an outdoor fellow all the way. And, and he, he loved fish, and his dad took him. But Damien never had that experience. And so he just couldn't understand, why would you get excited about something like that? I mean, how? and then to have to touch some kind of a slimy, gooey, crazy worm and put it on that hook. How dare you? Oh, how cannibalistic. It's horrible. Horrible. I mean, he really... I'd this ooh kind of Have ever anybody ever talked to somebody who tries to put live bait on a hook and they go, Ooh, i mean that was him anyway we're out in the boat and we're over in the in a wooded area in lake lavon on the west side of the fork over there and we're out there and it's early morning and we're all got our lines in the water and i'm i'm in the front of the boat Tim's in the back of the boat. Damien's on the side of the boat on the starboard side. and I turn around, and I notice that Damien's line is jerking like this. And I said, Damien, I think you got something on your line. He said, you think so? I said, yeah, you, you, I think because th- it's consistently jerking the line. And he didn't know what the, the experience was to be. And I said, Well, why don't you reel your line? And so he starts to reel it in. And as he's bringing the, there's about 11 to 12 inch sandbass, just a little fella, on the end of his line. Once Damien saw that back fin of that fish, he yanks the fish out of the water and swings it around. And just at that time, I, I, I wish I had this on YouTube because like, I was in the front of below boat and I couldn't believe it. Damien was so excited. The fish went horizontal and hit Tim right in the side of the face. <laughs> God is my witness. Tim completely fell falls in the water <laughs> because he get hits in the face. Tim, by the way, Tim was a big guy. But all of a sudden, kaplunk, he's in the water because Damien hits him with the fish. The funny thing about it, Damien doesn't even go and check where Tim's at. He's just, so he's, look what I got. And I'm back there trying to pull Tim in the boat. All of a sudden, Tim comes up. He puts his arms on the boat. Boom, boom. Pulls it. He's completely drenched. He says, well, I'm glad you got your fish, Damien. And we we get him in the boat. But here's the thing. Because of the experience he becomes a believer. And then he, when we come in that day, we all caught some fish. It wasn't a big day of fishing, but we all caught something. But he asked me, when can we go again? <laughs> can we go again? I mean, it just to- totally turned them on. Here's the point. What, see, what is so important, important about believing is that people need that kind of an encounter with Jesus. If we don't bring him from doctrine... And if we don't get them beyond just church attendance into a true experience, they will not believe. We have to now experience. Is This is where we get into the gray, scary area. Because a lot of people today in the church believe that an experience is going to happen because you're just waiting on God to happen. I wanted to tell you, we would have never caught any fish Until we actually went to the lake. You got to go to the lake. You actually got to get in the boat and you actually got to drop a line in the water even though you don't see any fish. Everyone say action. Believing starts with action on your part. Sometimes I've gone over here at quick time. When I used to, I don't have my boat anymore. I've been raptured. <laughs> no, but um, I remember over here at, at quick time, I was filling up my uh, boat with some gas, and uh, a woman was uh, next uh, in the next lane, and she was putting gas in her car, and she was asking me this question. He says, well, "What is it that you like about fishing?" I mean, she says, my husband and I fish. And I said, well, you know, we, you like to go for the big one. You like to get a nice-sized fish. And uh, there's great fishing around the Texas lakes here. But um, she, she was kind of bewildered that uh, I was getting up so early. It was about 5 in the morning I was getting up to go fishing. And she says, man, you really must like to fish to get up at 5 in the morning. I said, well, I'm naturally an early bird anyway. But, but you know, sometimes... There's faith requires an effort on my part. In, I can't tell you, folks, how many days I've been fishing in a lake and have caught nothing. And uh, there's times by just going out in the boat. Yeah, we'd all, we'd all like to catch fish. But sometimes, because of the experience, because of the experience, it allows you to go and it, it, it becomes the motivating force And the driving force, and it keeps you going because there's going to be times, even in our own Christian walk, where you're not always going to catch the fish. You're always not going to see the miracle, even though you're putting your line in the water, even though you're going to the lake, even though you're doing all the right things, and you you may be confessing and declaring and believing. But you may not always, you may not always catch something or see something happen. But it's because of certain Experiences and some things that have happened in your life that keeps you going. Are you following what I'm saying here? Because there's times, I, I wish we could bat a thousand all the time, but it doesn't happen that way all the time. In fact, that didn't happen even with Jesus' ministry. Many times, I remember one time when Jesus was healing a blind man, and he told him uh, that he, he touched his eyes, and he said, what do you see? And he says, well, I see men walking like trees. But he wasn't completely healed. So Jesus spoke to him again. And we find that sometimes faith in believing is a process of continuing action. There's certain actions in my life that I need to be taking in order for us to see a breakthrough. Everyone say breakthrough. Breakthrough. Because believing is not going to happen. There's never going to be the miracle. There's never going to you're never going to see the breakthrough until you take some action. But that action comes first by the knowledge of who you believe in. You know, I've been married to my wife for 41 years and I love her. She's uh, obviously a mighty woman of God. She's a queen. She's a tremendous positive influence in my life, our children, our grandchildren, and other people. But... The thing that keeps your faith alive is when you come to really know who they are. The Bible says that faith works by love. Faith doesn't just only work by experience, it also works by love. And so I need to know that that, uh, God loves me. How many of you really like the song we sing, God is a good father? He's a faithful father. He's good. You can trust in him. You can lean on him. <clears throat> One last story I want to share, and this this. Um, several years ago, when Carol and I came down and we uh, took this church, as young pastors, I was in my, I believe I'm, my mid-30s at the time, somewhere in there. And uh, Carol was were in that same age where we came down and uh, Pastor Merv had called me. I, was, I had my own business in Oregon at the time and I was working with Pastor Iverson and Pastor Merv and Darling, the former pastors of this church, were getting ready to leave to go to Indonesia. And uh, John and Kathy, you guys were still here in the church at the time, and uh, they had a board, uh, a leadership board, wasn't that Right. There were elders too, wasn't there? I thought you did have a couple elders. Maybe not. I I thought there was an elder. But but they had a leadership board that was circulating in and out, right? Is that right? But uh, I had my business going in Oregon at the time. And um, one of the things that I I discovered about belief is relationship is so critical. And I'm just going to close with this today. Um, when we came down, well, first, Pastor Merv called me up and said there was another brother by the name of George Black, I believe, that was being considered. And, and uh, Pastor Merv was transitioning out of the church. I don't know how many people that were in the church at the time, 100 or 200 maybe in the church at the time. And, uh, and I came and I preached a Sunday, and I went back to Portland. And my pastor asked me, Ray, how would you feel about being there? And I said, well, they're awesome people, great people. Uh, I don't know if I can handle the Texas heat but because I'm from Oregon, but great people, awesome situation. And Merv called me back about a month later and said, Ray, what do you think? Well, what, what's God been speaking to you? I said, well, honestly, to tell you the truth, I, I haven't heard anything. You know, I, I think it's a great church and this and that. <clears throat> and uh and so he called me up about maybe a week later says, can you and Carol come down again? And I said, sure. And Dick, Dick asked us to come down so as well. And so we came down. We came down, I think, two or three times. I can't really remember how many now. But we came down. We went back, and we were continuing to pray. And then Merv called me up and said, Ray, we want you to know that our, our leaders – John, correct me. if I, I think it was board of leaders or leaders or church or membership or whatever – had agreed that we feel that you should, we'd like you to come if you'd like to, feel the Lord wants you to, for you to come and take the church. And so uh, I said, wow, I'm honored by that. I'll be honest with you, I was shocked by it because Brother Black, there was another guy who I, to this day, have never met. Brother Black had been a member of this church, and I think, wasn't he part of the leadership here? He was an assistant pastor. But they chose me, who was a no name? I, I didn't. They didn't know me at all. But they asked me to come, and they felt the Lord wanted me to come. And I prayed. Brother Dick prayed, and we all came into this place of agreement. So we came down, and we were now set in as the senior pastors of New Life Fellowship at that time, back in 1991. Carol and I finally made it our way in here in in May. And this, I'm a young guy, young pastor, and. I really felt, wow, we're going to go somewhere. Praise God. And the first thing the Lord began, because I, I, I'm a visionary guy, and I, I begin to get up and I said, we're going to, this is the vision. This is where we're going to go. And uh, at the time, I was not aware because of inexperience on my part. And it wasn't until literally years later the Lord showed me what I was dealing with. I, I, I don't know if I wasn't listening. Nothing wrong with preaching the word, nothing wrong with teaching on, preaching on vision and life and moving forward. But at the time, I didn't realize that I was in a congregation of deeply wounded people. I didn't know that at the time. And I want to tell you something, what it's like for people to experience the exit of an old pastor and the entrance of a new pastor. When you bring a new pastor in, when the old one goes, it's like those pastors divorced with those people. It's like a divorce. And it's, it's what happens with a family. Sometimes moms and dads, they move on to their new spouses, but guess what? The kids don't move on. Dad is dad and mama's mom, and nothing's going to separate that. Moms and dads move on, but guess what? The kids don't move on. Now, I'm not trying to make a point about divorce and remarriage. I believe God, divorce and remarriage happens, I get it. God can heal, God can restore. But my point is, it is so important that we understand that when we make major transitions like that, that just because you're off and running doesn't mean your kids are behind you. And I'm Pastor Ray preaching vision. Guess what? There were some people that were with me, but I didn't realize the depth. The here, by the way, it wasn't Murph or Darlene's fault either. They felt the Lord speak to them to move on. But what I didn't know was how wounded the people were. Amen. I wasn't aware of it. I just, I was so focused on vision and let's take the land, let's pursue the promise. And I I begin to realize that people were deeply hurt that their spiritual father and mother left them. That was Pastor Mervyn. By the way, Pastor Mervyn, darling, awesome people. It wasn't, that's not, I'm not trying to emphasize them leaving. But what I didn't realize is that sometimes people aren't believing because they don't know you. They don't know your heart. They don't know where you're, they don't care about your preaching, your vision. If they can't can't see believing, believing in something starts by coming to know people. How is is this pastor, how is this leader, how is this person going to handle the problems that I'm dealing with on a private basis? Will they really be with you? This is the one thing I love about Jesus' ministry. Jesus just didn't come bringing a vision or ministry about the kingdom. I really believe that Jesus took the time to sit with people, sinners, whether it's the woman at the well. I love the story of the woman at the well. How many of you know the story of the woman at the well? The woman at the well is so powerful because... For years, I read this where Jesus comes to the, the well. He's, Jesus, a Jew, comes to the Samaritan woman, and there's hostility between both of them. Jesus doesn't come on the scene and says, You know, you Samaritans, if you really got your act together, if you would only get your act together, then God would accept you. But you know what Jesus does? He comes to a woman and he says, Can you give me a drink from your bucket? Now, you may say, well, big deal about that. The Jews never drank out of utensils from other nationalities because it was considered unclean and defilement. And so the Jews had this superiority complex, and people knew about it that if you touch their clothes, you drink out of their utensils, you eat their food, you are defiled because we Jews are much better than everyone else. So when Jesus comes on the scene and says, can I have a drink of your water out of your cup? You know what Jesus was saying? I believe in you. I want you to know that I can drink from your cup and I'm not going to be defiled. Because Jesus was all about building bridges to broken people. And that's why the woman reacted so hostile. She couldn't believe, why would you want to drink? You know the way you choose treat us. Jesus turns an unbeliever into a believer simply because he honored her and letting her know that what you're drinking from, I can drink from, it. it's not going to bother me. In fact, I'm honored to drink out of your cup. That blew her away. How many here like to have... Uh, visitors or people over to your house. Well, we'll pray for the rest of you. I haven't met anybody that doesn't like to entertain people, have them over, serve them food, like to bring out the china, look at my latest and the greatest dishes. You know, you know, let's let's have a party in my house. I think women more so than men love to just can you move for, for tea and I'll just bring it out and we'll deck it out so you can eat from our table there's something that is really amazing and, and even nurturing because it is more blessed to give but can you imagine someone says no I don't want to come to your house because your house is filthy I don't want to come to your house because, you know, you're on the other side of the tracks and you're not on my status level. So I don't come to your house You know, I'd rather eat on my own plate because you don't wash your dishes. And I notice spots around and rings around the top of the glass. I don't drink out of your Boy, I tell you what, I've heard people talk like that. They need to get saved. I would drink out of a paper cup. Because when you come to someone's house, what you're doing is you're saying, I believe in you. I'm here. I'm not looking at the dirty mess. I'm not looking at the doilies and the curtains that haven't been washed in months, maybe years. I'm not looking at your dog that's pooping all over the carpet. I'm here to reach you. See, that's what Jesus did. Jesus wasn't coming and cramming the doctrine. Jesus was saying, I'm going to reach them by letting them know that my time with them is how I build a bridge so they will believe me. Honor, relationship, and communication is how we help people to believe us. And by the way, when Jesus went to the house of Matthew, when Jesus said, Matthew, come and follow me, the first thing Jesus did was he took, Jesus said, let's go to your house, Matthew. By the way, his house was a house of decadence. It was a house of sin. They had some wild parties in the house of Matthew. Jesus goes there. I'm not suggesting to put your kids in that environment. I'm suggesting that Jesus was letting Matthew know that you're not going to defile me. If anything, my holiness, my righteousness is going to transform your life. In the New Testament, your righteousness and holiness transforms the lives of those that are in darkness. Under the old covenant, if you hung around it, you were considered defiled. Faith and belief starts by the kind of honor and relationship as we convey that through just listening, just being there. Amen? Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer.